I choose to doubt my doubts before I doubt my faith. I choose to have faith that there's a bright and a beautiful future ahead. I choose to hope that today is going to be better than yesterday. And me putting on a sad face and being angry at what's going on or putting blame on other people, it does me no good. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned from getting hit by the bobsled back in 2005 before the Olympic Games by missing out on an Olympic Games is that grumbling about it isn't going to make it better and that I have a choice to make. Regardless of the situation, regardless of the chaos and the crappy times going on around me, I have a choice to make. I can either choose to be crappy with the situation or I can choose to try and rise above it in whatever way I personally can because nobody's going to take me there. Nobody's going to do it for me. Nobody's going to put a smile on my face for me. And you just keep trying. You just keep pushing on and pushing forward each and every day. It's episode number 470 of the Cultural Hall. Thank you for finding us. If this is your first episode, welcome in. Everybody scoot toward the middle. We need to make some more room for people. Scoot toward the middle, please. This is a pro-faith, pro-church podcast. Now, I'll say podcast and you'll go, oh, this is my first time. I've never heard him call it a show. It's a show. It's available in podcast form. I don't have the time to explain it, nor will I belabor that point right here. I'm excited for this conversation with Noel Pikes-Pace. Whenever you meet someone who competes on an international level, who is the best of the best of the best, you know that there's something special about them. You know that there's something that motivates them. I wanted to find out what it was that motivated Noel Pikes Pace. And guess what? You guys get the luxury of being able to learn alongside me as I ask the questions in this episode of The Cultural Hall. It's time for another episode of The Cultural Hall. Uh, joined via the Zoom, she's in her basement. We'll talk about what that exactly is. It's Noel Pikes Pace, silver medalist and uh, quickly becoming my best friend. So welcome to The Cultural Hall, Noel. Thank you, Richie. It's great to be on here. Now, uh, I'm super excited to be able to talk to you because I actually was watching the Winter Olympics in 2014. Um, because you're a, a member of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, I get super excited about any Olympian that's a member of the church, and I sort of follow their story a little bit more. Knew where you competing, knew that you had a, a really great chance of being able to meddle in it. And so I was watching, and here's the things that I remember about it. I was like, yeah, oh, wait, wait a minute. Oh, she, and then you won. And then when you knew that you crossed the finish line and were in a placing time, you jump the gate and go up and greet your family. And I was like, oh, be careful. Noel, be, be careful. You, I don't want you to hurt yourself. Please be careful with what you're, and you were, of course, safe, but you, you couldn't even hold it in to be able to go and, and just hug and love your family. Oh, that was incredible. It was, and, and just hearing you commentate about it just now, like my emotions, you know, are getting all ramped up and everything. That was, that was the day to remember really. But to be honest, like when I look back on that experience, um, I can, I can literally like feel where I was. I can see where I was. I can, I'm like there standing at the top of the, the starting line and looking for my way to get down the track. And I remember before I went before every single run that I ever did, um, through practices, through competitions, I wrote down three goals, like three specific things that I wanted to focus on. And I remember that day, just having, I mean, just truly having just this heart of gratitude. I knew that 
I knew that the camera was on me while I was going down that track. So for those that don't know what skeleton is, it's a, it's a crazy headfirst sport where we go 90 miles an hour on our stomachs down a bobsled track, down its icy mountain. And we go literally 90 miles an hour with our chin so close to the ice, but we steer with our shoulders and our knees and we're, you know, we're maneuvering ourselves down this mile long course. And I remember as I was going down that track, um, trying to weave in and out. I came out of corner five really high. I came out and I tapped that right wall and I brushed it and I thought, oh no, there goes my run. There goes my Olympic dream. It's taken me 15 years to get here. And there it goes. I just hit the wall. And I just remember at that moment, just saying, no, get down, get down tighter, get aerodynamic, get faster, go fast, 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 speed, speed, speed. We always want to go faster. Mm -hmm. And as I crossed that finish line, I never knew, like, you don't know how you do. Like you really just have no idea when it's based on a hundredth of a second. Mm -hmm. Like you can't blink a hundred times in a second. That's so close, you know? And I had no idea, like, did I do well? Did I not do well? I hit that wall. Did that stop me from winning a medal? And um, I remember as I crossed that finish line, straining my neck towards that finish line, trying to get just a centimeter farther and faster ahead. And uh, right as I crossed that finish line, dragging my feet. So in skeleton, people think it's scary to go down, but we don't have brakes. Yep. Like we don't, we can't, we can't slow down. <laughs> like it's crazy. Um, but I remember seeing my coach throw his arms in the air. He stepped out onto the edge of the track and he threw his arms in the air. And that, that was when I knew that was when I knew Richie, I knew, I didn't know if it was gold or silver or bronze. I didn't know, but I knew that it was enough. And, um, I, I tried to get off my sled fast enough and jumped up and down and started screaming and ripped my helmet off and started just screaming at the edge, at the top of my lungs, at the edge of the track. And I remember the volunteers, these cute little Russian, this was in Russia in 2014. And I remember them pointing to me, like saying, hey, you need to come over here. You need to go over to see like, you know, Getty Images and USA Today. Come on, here's your moment of fame and glory. And I was like, I turned to, I was looking at the right at all these like camera crews and everything. And then I turned to the left and I remember seeing my family up in the stands. Um, it was my, my husband and my daughter, my four-year-old daughter at the time. And, and my son was a year old. And then my parents, my siblings and things, and I saw them standing there and I thought, that's where I need to be. Mm -hmm. That's where I want to be. I want to be up there with them celebrating this moment. They, you know, I didn't just go down this track, even sure. though the camera was just on me. It was all of them and all of like my coaches and my doctors and my neighbors and my friends, my community in this great state of Utah and USA, you know, cheering me on all along the way. And so when I jumped up into those stands, I'm glad you were worried about my health and safety. But for me, I was like, forget it. The race is over. Like if I break a leg again, you know, which I've done before, if, uh -huh. I, if I break it again, it's fine. Like the race is done. Like yeah. I'm done. I'm done. So yeah. it was just a moment I'll always remember. It was amazing. Along with it. And I didn't mention, I love their, the, the camera, at least what I was watching, caught one of the volunteers being like, we don't know. We don't know what she's doing. <laughs> like looking around, just being like, I, I guess she, she wanted to go up there. I hope, I hope she'll come back down and do this other part that oh, she please. needs to do. Now you mentioned, <laughs> and, and one of the things that I think inspires us the most about Olympians is that it isn't just that one race down the track that particular day, right? There is a oh, story wow. behind every single person, whether it's financial hardship or physical hardship or both of those things, relationships, all these different things. It's a story that I know that you have told a lot, but I would hope that you would share it with us again, that 15. And again, I want to make sure that we have and save time to go into other things, but give us an idea, a snapshot of what that was like from, huh, maybe I'm going to win a silver medal at the Sochi Olympics as the thought to when it actually happened and fill in all that gap there. 
Oh man! Wow. And you happened. and you have seven minutes, so the timer <laughs> is going. No, I'm teasing. It's like the elevator speech. All right, here we go. So um, I was 15 years old. I was running track and field at Mountain View High School in Orem, Utah, and my track coach introduced me to skeleton to this crazy sport. Uh, it was just before the 2002 games, so I took a chance on it. I just saw it. I I believed that it could be possible. You know, first you have to just in anything we do in life, anything great we want to do, we have to believe it's possible. If you don't believe in yourself, if you don't believe in that goal or that dream, then then it, it can't even become possible. So just that little glimmer of belief kept me moving forward. And um, within three short years, I was ranked first in the world. Jeez. Like that's crazy. Yeah. People don't just do that. Nope. <laughs> They don't just do that, but I was ranked first in the world after three years. Um, and this was just before the 2006 Winter Olympics in Torino, Italy. And I was expected to go on and and win a medal, not just become an Olympian, but win a medal for the U.S. and, and come home with some bling around my neck. And at our Olympic trials in just before those 2006 games, a bobsled was sent down the track without us skeleton athletes knowing. There were a bunch of us waiting at the bottom of the track, waiting for a truck to take us up to the top of the track to go down again. And as we sat there waiting, um, this bobsled, this four-man bobsled, it weighed 1,600 pounds, Ugh. and it was coming between 60 and 70 miles an hour towards us. They 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 didn't break, they didn't pull the brakes, and it came flying out of the end of the track to the brakeman's, you know, to his um, just in his support of him. He didn't know he was supposed to pull the brakes. It was his first time ever in a bobsled, mm. and they came flying out of the out of the track onto the road where we were waiting for this truck, and it hit me. Um, so I sustained a compound fracture. My bones were sticking out of my leg. Mm. Oh, so gross. Mm. Oh, I'm so mm. sorry. I know for that visual. Um, so my, in case you missed it, Richie, my, my, my uh, calf and my heel were touching. So my heel was touching my calf of my right leg. And yeah, the way, um, the, the way, the way that it should, of course, the way that the way it yeah. should. that's how we, that's how we all walk on our legs. Right. Ooh. So, yeah, so it was kind of a gruesome scene and uh, I missed out on the 2006 games and ranked first in the world. I mean, that was devastating to say the least. And I could go into so many stories of triumph and trial and success and failure in between there. But um, I missed those Olympic games to come back and fight for a position once again that next year. Um, I became the world champion that following year, a year later, um, by the largest margin in the history of our sport. So in a sport, I was, I was on fire. Like I was just like, I was so mad that I missed out on the Olympics and just so frustrated. And all this emotion just went into that next season of wishing I could have been there in those 2006 games and missing out on that Olympic dream. And it just came out with fire in me and a passion that I've never felt before. Um, able to cross that line at world championships that next year by the largest margin of, by a second and a half hmm. in our sport that's based on a hundredth of a second. Um, okay. I've got like 30 seconds left. So then uh, <laughs> four, <laughs> four years later, uh, between that time, I had a baby girl. Um, greatest day of my life was becoming a mom, um, had a baby girl, went on for a master's degree, went to the 2010 Olympic uh, games in Vancouver, Canada, and I finished the worst possible position ever. Okay. <laughs> Okay, if there are any listeners that think that second place is the worst position, uh -huh. oh, boo on you because it is not. <laughs> it is not. It is fourth. Yeah. Fourth place, uh. okay? Because you get a gold, silver, bronze, and then nothing. Yeah. Like nothing. Like I finished fourth at those games. And that was just the pits, man. 
Um, <laughs> and, and, and as I understand, just by a few hundredths of a second, right? It was pretty close. Yes. Oh, yeah. it was. It was one tenth of a second. Thank you for reminding me. Richie. Yeah, you're welcome. You're welcome. Second. Here, take this salt. Go ahead and take this salt oh, and pour man, it in your I calf heel it. wound, would you please? It's burning. Ouch. <laughs> Yeah, so uh, I missed it by a tenth of a second. After think about that, that's after four times down a mile long track. We go ninety miles an hour. My time was like four minutes long or so, like three minutes and fifty something seconds, and I missed it by a tenth of a second. Mm -hmm. And I went back and watched video later that summer. I couldn't get up the courage to watch it soon after my Olympic competition. I was just too frustrated. Um, but I remember watching it later on in that summer after months had gone by and watched my Olympic race, and I saw something, and I was like, oh my word that was it. Hmm. I, that was it. Like these small little things we do, these small, these small things that we do each and every day make the biggest differences. And, and just seeing this on the video, it made, it reminded me of that statement that I truly believe in. Um, but I saw my shoelaces dragging down mm. the track mm. the entire way down a mile long track four times in a row. So I, you know, the little loopy part of the shoelace, when you try the little bow that goes around the, you know, mm -hmm. the rabbit goes around the you know, tree. Yeah. You, that, bet. yeah the, you got it. Right. Yeah. <laughs> That was dragging the entire way down. And you think of a 10th of a second, we polish our runners like to the finest degree to make sure that nothing is dragging is so such an aerodynamic sport that for sure that cost me at least two hundredths of a second each run. Hmm. Um, so anyway, looking at that, the next Olympics, 2014, I got zippers. I was going to say it's got to be Velcro shoes or zipper <laughs> shoes for sure. <laughs> I learned my lesson. Yes. Zippers. Yeah. Velcro works too. Um, but yeah, then in 2014, crossed that finish line with a silver medal. And all I could say was we did it. It, it was such a journey for so many of us, um, not just for myself, but my husband, my kids, my family. Like I said, it was just a journey. We did it. Yeah. And, and part of when you say we did it, that was what you were shouting, right? At the, yeah. at the finish line, like sort, yeah. of, sort of admittedly, sort of like a crazy person. Uh, we <laughs> did it as you jump the, the rail and go to yeah. your family and don't do all the things that you're supposed to. I remember you yelling, we did it. And, and it is. It's a unique position which you find yourself in uh, being an Olympian and being a meddling uh, Olympian, uh, M-E-D-A-L-I-N-G, not meddling M-E-T-T. -T. Um, <laughs> but but you represent Certainly yourself and, and your family and the hard work and the sacrifice that got you to be there. Then your teams, your coaches, then um, in, in a lot of ways, I know that I'm not alone in saying, hey, that's a that's someone who belongs and believes the same way I do. And so we sort of look at you that way. Then you have the United States of America, who's all looking at you. And, you know, we sort of jump on as well. That's a tremendous amount of pressure. Um, <laughs> but to culminate in a we did it moment, that's. That's pretty impactful where some people would be like, I did this. I made it. You, you were able to look at the, we did it. Oh, wow. There's no way I could say I did it. I mean, that's, <laughs> I couldn't even, I can't even say that. It's just, even when I hold that medal, um, there's so many memories and so many sacrifices of so many people that went into getting, getting us to that moment, mm -hmm. um, to even just be able to stand at that starting line. There's no way I could do it by myself. And yes, I, I am, I'm proud of who I am, not in a prideful way, hopefully, but I'm just, I'm proud. I own it. You know, mm -hmm. I, I love who I've become because of those around me and because of my beliefs and, um, my beliefs come first. I know who I am and I know what I stand for. And, um, to anybody listening, I hope that you stand for what you believe. You know, I just, I hope you have courage to, to make a difference and to stand up for what you believe. And one of the things I said, as I crossed that finish line in Sochi, 
right after we, after I after I jumped out of the stands from my family and then I I made my way over to those camera crews. Um, one of the first things that I said to the first, I don't even know who it was. I don't know if it was NBC or which camera crew it was, but I just said, remember who you are and what you stand for. Mm-hmm. And to me, that's just it, it means everything. Cause if you if you don't stand for something, you'll fall for anything. And I've seen that time and time again in my life. So just remember who you are and what you stand for and be be courageous. Take courage, be kind, have humility and, and be the best that you can be. Now, you talk about uh, the, the stories of, of trial and triumph are aplenty in the Noel Picus Pace story. But I would be curious because 2010, fourth place, man, I hang up my skeleton rack and I say, <laughs> I'm out. I, I tried. I was the one. I'm not the one. So so talk to us a little bit about that trial and then triumph from 2010 to 2014 that made you go, sure. hey, maybe maybe we can maybe we can do this one more time. Sure, sure. So in 2010, um, after crossing the finish line in fourth place, to be honest, like I'm just gonna be completely honest with you, Archie. It was a really, really, really hard season um, that year and the year before that. I I had um, our little girl, so we had Lacey uh, back in 2008. And so I had retired. Um, see, like I have a, I have an alarm going off if you guys heard that. I'm trying to, I, it's kids, we're being moms, right? I have timers <laughs> to get my kids from kindergarten from preschool things. Um, but I, it was a really tough time because I took some time off after my injury, after I broke my leg and I had our little girl, Lacey Lynn. So I was a mom, you know, being a mom, I still am a mom. Yeah. I'm, being a mom was my first priority, but then all of a sudden I, I was torn because now here I am competing at this elite level, competing at World Cup. Now I have to leave for months and months at a time. I leave behind my husband and my daughter for three, four, five months at a time. And I missed my daughter's first steps. I missed her first birthdays. I missed her first birthday. I missed her first words. I just felt like I missed everything. So when I was out, this was right before the 2010 games. And so when I was out there competing, I felt like I needed to be home. And when I was home, I felt like I was not giving my best to my coaches and my teammates by not working out enough or not training. I was just so pulled and just my, my, my life was completely out of balance, to be honest with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and I needed to figure out how to get it back. And the only thing I could think of was to be done with skeleton. Yeah. I still loved the sport, but I just felt like I needed to retire after the games. Like just become an Olympian. Noel, just get there, just go to the Olympics, just become an Olympian. And to be honest, I saw that the 2010 games, more of an, I, 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 me, 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 more of a, I want to be an Olympian because I have worked so hard for this. This is my dream. And so when I crossed the finish line in fourth place, I was still, I was no, I wasn't any happier than I was before. I mean, I made this Olympic dream. I had made it. I felt like I had made this Olympic dream come true. And here I finished fourth. And despite everything, I just felt miserable. Like I just didn't feel like I was where I needed to be. So I retired that day, like literally the day of the 2010 Olympics and just didn't look back. I was done. And I wanted to continue growing our family and, and put my emphasis on being a mom. And so my husband and I, we had um, Trayson two years later, and then um, I became pregnant with a little girl in in the spring, well, in the in the winter of 2012, going into the spring of 2012. Um, so I was pregnant, and I was about um, 18 weeks pregnant when um, her little heart just stopped beating, mm. and um, that that was hard. You're gonna hear my voice get shaky, but um, that to me. Um, you know, you talk about missing the Olympic games. That was really hard, but I felt like I could do something about it. I felt like I, I, I kind of knew the path ahead. I kind of knew how I needed to fix things to move forward and um, to, to set my sights on the, the next season. But 
when that little girl, when our little girl, um, we had already picked out names and everything. Um, but when her little heart stopped, I just, I kind of just lost myself. Like I didn't know my purpose. I didn't, I couldn't, I didn't know why it happened. Doctors didn't have answers. They couldn't tell us. And to be honest, um, that was the first of three that we mm. lost mm. at the late stage of miscarriages. So we, we went through this over and over again with doctors, not knowing, um, and still, still, they don't have any answers. They look back and it's just like, all the blood works great. Everything's great. There's no reason that these little babies' hearts should have stopped. You're just one in a million, you know? And so when that happened um, in 2012 and Jansen, my husband, could see that I was just so hurt by this, just devastated, you know, emotionally and just mentally, um, he knew that I needed something to change my focus on. And so that was when he, a month later after this miscarriage happened, it actually happened on Easter of, of 2012. Mm. And a month later, he, he came out to me and he said, you know, Noelle, I know that you still love skeleton. And he wasn't saying this in any kind of, he was, he was very considerate of my emotions and my feelings, but he was just saying, I know you still love skeleton. What would you think about trying to go back again for the 2014 games? And just have this kind of as a distraction. Just take your mind off of what's going on. Let's. How about how about you do that? You know what do you think? And I said, "There's no way I could do this without you guys." And he said, "No, that's that's what I mean. What if we could do this together as a family? What if I could come with you?" Um, he actually built my sled for the 2010 game, so he wanted to build me another one for 2014, and he did, and he did an amazing job. Um, but with my daughter and and our son by by our side, we ended up traveling the world for two years. I said, if if we could go do this together, you know, if we could do this, that was why I was so torn before is because you were there and I was here and I was trying to do this. And he said, no, no, no. What if we could all do this together for the next two years? We're going to travel together. And I said, what about finances? And he said, don't worry about anything <laughs> like you just if this is what you want. How about you just focus on getting ready for a competition this fall and I will focus on everything else. I'll take care of the kids. I'll take care of um, the travel stuff. I'll just take care of everything else. Would you want to do this? And after, you know, really after prayer, lots of prayer, mm -hmm. um, we decided that this was good for our family, that this would be a good thing. And, um, and it was it was beyond good. It was an ama amazing, incredible experience for us. So I wouldn't have I wouldn't have appreciated the goodness of it had I not been through the pits, though. I truly believe that, that some of these struggles that I faced in my life, I don't think I would have appreciated a medal had I not been hit by a bops. I don't think I appreciated that time with my family or my kids as much had I not had these losses. So, mm -hmm. um, yeah, there have been a lot of struggles along the way, but I don't know that I would change them. I know that sounds kind of funny, but it's mm -hmm. made me who I am and, and made me stronger because of it. So one question that that I hope is not an overstep, but that I would be curious because I think a lot of people who who find themselves in struggle, whether it be a miscarriage or or something else, they they get to a point where they're like, "All right, God, what's the deal here? I'm doing what I what I feel like you tell me I should be doing, but you know, I'm checking the boxes, I'm doing the things, and and where are you at on the other side of that? Was there ever a, a frustration? A, a, a where God moment for you within specifically that moment, but I guess anywhere along the way that you experienced? I think, I think, um, I think it's good to ask questions. I really do. Um, but I think you doubt your doubt before you doubt your faith. So if you ever are doubting, you know, that God is listening, doubt those little thoughts that make you feel like he's not there. Because for me, it can just go into a spiral downhill. And yes, there were moments when I wanted to feel angry and feel frustrated and feel upset and be mad and feel alone um, and just fall into that depressive state and um, go into dismay. There's this quote, um, this poem, I don't know if I'm going to remember it now, but 
It's along the lines of refuse to be discouraged, refuse to be distressed for when we are despondent, our lives cannot be blessed. Hmm. And I truly believe that. And this, this, that poem goes on and on. I remember that from actually when I was about 14 or 15 years old, I had that written in one of my um, just notebooks at school, just refuse to be discouraged, refuse to be distressed for when we are despondent, our lives cannot be blessed. And if you just think about that, he wants to bless us. I, I don't doubt that God listens to our prayers. I know he's there. I know that he listens to us. And um, I, I, I always love these quotes and these poems, but just thinking about there's this poem where you're walking in the sand and when you turn and you look back and there's actually always been two footprints next to you in the sand on this, on this beach when you thought you were alone. He gives us trials. I truly believe he gives us trials so that we can be strong, so that we can be humble enough to turn to him and ask for help and find our weaknesses through his strength. And he's there to help us um, with anything. And, and he'll never give us anything. I know this sounds a little cliche, but he'll never give us anything that is over our heads or that is too much for us to bear. But once we start doubting, once we start disbelieving, once we start just allowing ourselves to go into those dark places in our minds, it's really hard for, for us to hear him. Yeah. And um, if, if there's any glimmer of hope or faith, and it's like what I came back to in the beginning, if we have just a a glimmer of belief that it could be possible that God is listening, just even a glimmer, even just like this tiniest little mustard seed of faith that he could be listening to our prayer, then hold on to that. Like choose that instead of choosing to doubt and just choose to walk by faith, choose to look for the light. And um, one of the things, just one, just a little tip that I, I had to do in my darkest hours was I had to be grateful. I had to look for ways to um, show gratitude in all things, whether it was, you know, if I was all alone on, on tour, you know, around the world, which sounds like really cool. Right. But <laughs> here's my family back at home. My daughter is, you know, missing, I'm missing her first steps and her first words. I had to look for the light. I had to think, I'm so grateful that I can call her on the phone. I'm so grateful for the beauty around me, for the trees. I'm grateful for uh, good books. I'm grateful for wonderful music. I just had to look for anything that I could be grateful for. And it's amazing how gratitude can lift our spirits. Yeah. I want to take a break. And when we come back in the in the second block, I want to talk about what you do when you're done being an Olympian and what that looks like. And we'll come back and do that in the second block of the Cultural Hall. Hey, this is Dan, the Laptop Man from PC Laptops in Salt Lake City. A computer can be the best holiday gift imaginable. It can bring such joy and fluffiness. Buying any other brand of computer than a PC Laptops computer can be painful. Can you imagine calling Chumbawamba and being placed on hold for forever? Finally, when someone in Chumbawamba answers, only to be told your on-site extended warranty is the delivery guy picking up your computer and then having to wait eight weeks for them to tell you that your software problem isn't covered by the warranty? You end up paying a huge bill, and on top of it, you get your computer back and all your data is erased. That's brain damage. Avoid the pain and feel the love this holiday season. To make it impossible to resist, we're doing 12 months special financing on any PC laptop's desktop or laptop computer. Have I lost my mind? Call us at 1-877-596-7283 for details or check us out at PCLaptops.com. That's PCLaptops.com, where we love you. Imagine running a small business today. It's challenging. Imaging and internet presence is an absolute must. Even with that, you're still a small star in a bright cyber universe. Now, imagine you have someone who understands 
understands how to get your site designed for your talents and then easily searched by potential clients. Imagine Lennon Design. Whether it's strictly a website or a whole package of logo creation, advertising media, and promotional materials, Lennon Design is your partner in business. They'll test the boundaries of their imagination to create something unique for you. When you need creative, affordable design, let it be Lennon Design. Call 801-699-3022 or visit LennonDesign.com. Here in the second block of the Cultural Hall, you love this conversation. Man, if you are not a Patreon saint of the Cultural Hall, you are missing out. The camera work on Noel Pika's pace is on point, but you only get to see the video if you are, in fact, a Patreon subscriber. You get to be a part of that secret but not sacred Facebook group. Just go to patreon.com forward slash the cultural hall and you can make that donation and then be a part of that exclusive group. Now, Noel, I have to ask you this because to me, hearing that, you know, your track coach when you're 15 years old says, hey, hey, have you met this guy, Skeleton? And you're like, yes, I love this, this, uh, you know, this life pursuit. It takes you to the Olympics and then you go across the finish line and you get the silver medal and there's all the pomp and the circumstance and all these things. And then you're done because you're not going to come back in 2018 or 16 or whenever it is. And you're just kind of like, uh, okay. So... So I'm a mom, which you love, and I'm not downplaying. I think that's a vital role. I think we can both agree with that. But there's got to be something where you're like, okay, I'm not, I'm not skeleton picus pace anymore. Who am I? That's so true. Now what, right? That yeah. transitional stage of life when we move from one huge chapter to the next. Um, so first of all, right when, um, right before the 2014 Olympics, I saw this void coming. Really. Um, and I think it's good for people to kind of look ahead. I think that's one of the attributes of elite athletes is just trying to anticipate the future events to some degree. And I remember just a few weeks before this Olympic run in 2014, looking at my life and saying, what do I want to do next? You know, this chapter is closing. Mm -hmm. What will I do next? What am I going to do? Who am I going to become? Because you're right. It's not skeleton. Noel Pike is pace anymore. I'm still me. I'm, I'm more than just a skeleton athlete. Mm -hmm. um, I, I hope so. Right. Sure. And I have a lot more to offer. So um, I started looking ahead. One thing that we did is my husband and I started making bucket a bucket list, this long, lengthy bucket list. We learned how to juggle, how to play harmonica, how to walk on our hands. We've traveled to different places and we still continue to add to that. We absolutely love it. And I highly, highly, highly recommend making your own bucket list. Um, even if you want to do it with a friend or even if it's just like a bucket list for the month, it doesn't have to be a lifelong thing, mm -hmm. but just making these fun, short goals of anything you want to do, like beatboxing. Ooh, I'm not great, but I'm going to do it anyway. Do it. Hit me. Ah, see, that's just a little glimpse. I'm sorry. I should have kept going. <laughs> there are listeners that can do it so much better, but I don't care. I'm going to do my best. Um, but just try anything. Just do anything. You can be like, you can be whatever you want to be. Don't put, don't put yourself in a box and just say, this is who I should be. So that's really what I've been trying to do ever since the Olympics is just becoming whoever I want to become. Um, and doing that with my husband and with our kids, it's been a lot of fun to see them reach their goals as well and set new ones and, and just go crazy with it. One of the things that um, I am actually really, really passionate about is helping people live on purpose. Mm -hmm. So I've created an e-course. It's a 12-week e-course. And I just absolutely love helping people to learn about their purpose in life and their mindset and being disciplined with habits and teaching them these elite Olympic principles. I've had so many people ask me, how do you go to the Olympics? What does it take? And 
there really are certain things that, you know, can go into place that can help us improve our life. So that's been a lot of fun. Um, and I'm excited to continue building courses. So that's where I'm at. So something that probably may, I mean, maybe you do, maybe I shouldn't make the assumption, but when you talk about living a life on purpose, to me, that just seems like the gospel, but I wonder how much, how much of that, uh, you infiltrate is the word that is coming to mind, but that's not the word that, you know, but, 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 but how much of that is for you faith, faith derived? Like how, how much does that instruct how you live a life on purpose? Everything, man, um, following the teachings of our savior, Jesus Christ is everything to me. And that guides my whole life, you know? Um, so I'll tell you what my purpose is. This is actually, um, I have it on my phone because every day I want to, I want to know where I'm going by mm-hmm. the end of my life. I like to begin with the end in mind as you know, many have said mm-hmm. before us, but just beginning with where do I want to end up at the end of my life? And so for my purpose, my purpose statement is the purpose of my life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and to cherish my loved ones, to pursue lifelong learning and growth and to strengthen and share my gifts so that, and of course my phone just went, there you go. <laughs> Technology. I love it. Yep. I love it. Um, to strengthen and share my gifts so that I might inspire others to live more fully, love more openly and make a greater difference today. Mm-hmm. So I just, I hope to help people find their purpose so that when I'm driving on the road and, you know, I get frustrated because somebody just cut me off and I'm, I just want to honk my horn. And instead I think, what is the purpose? Like, what's the point? And I think, you know what? I want, my, the purpose of my life is to be a disciple of Jesus Christ and cherish my loved ones. When I want to get frustrated at my kids and like they just spilt the cereal all over the floor and that was just right next to the, you know, wax candle. Why do we have heated wax candles on our counter? I don't know. But then all of a sudden that gets knocked over and it tips over on the floor and you just want to like lash out, you know, and, and then all of a sudden I think, you know, my the purpose of my life, I want to cherish my loved ones. Is me, is the, me you know, acting in this way going to help me cherish my loved ones? And it's not. So it helps me to be guided by my purpose. Each of us has our own distinct purpose. And a lot of times people don't know what that is. A lot of times people are searching for a defined purpose. They know within themselves that they have this, this, you know, meaning to life, but they haven't necessarily, there's so much power that comes in defining what that is. And that's what I hope to help people to do is just to, and first it starts with mindset, with where your mind, where your thoughts are taking you. And um, it starts with a single thought that then can snowball into your your um, purpose and your actions and your habits and discipline and, and lead you on to success and whatever that is. Success is defined by each of us differently. So whatever that success is, that's what I hope to help people achieve. One of the things that impresses me, and I can't remember you know, which church leader, I'm sure several, but talk about how one of the things that um, stands in the way for us achieving our real potential is ourselves or our own fear and how, you know, with God, we can be able to overcome in a lot of ways, our, our own self that, that I, that I think for me, as I, as I think about, you know, talking with you, I get nothing but inspired, right? I'm like, yeah, you're right. I can be, and I can go and do these things and I'm going to do, and I am going to juggle and walk on my hands, which I'm assuming that just means like walking completely upside down, but I'm not completely sure I digress, but I get inspired to do all these things. And then we'll get off of this call We'll end this interview and I'll be like, yeah, but I don't know. Can I really, can I really do it? I'm for sure, sure, for sure. Right. Yeah, for sure you can, Richie. And the world is at your fingertips. You can do anything. Absolutely. And honestly, like self-mastery is huge in this life. That's like one of the reasons we're here is just to master ourselves. And um, it's just like being, I mean, I know I'll relate to the Olympics, but it's so applicable in life as a, 
as in your career or, or as a parent or in whatever walk of life you're in, but um, overcoming fear, that's, that's huge. You know, we have to recognize it first and be aware of it. So a lot of times, so you talked about two things there, I think, Richie, you talked about fear, Mm -hmm. which is very, very real. Um, And the first thing you have to do is just recognize those fears, be aware of them, and then be willing to face them, be willing to point them out and to say, what am I afraid of, right? And you point out those fears and then find ways to find solutions for each of those fears. I had to do that all the time as an Olympian. Every single day I had fears and I'd have to write them out and say, what, what's stressing me out? What's worrying me? What's frustrating me? What's, what am I afraid of? And then I would literally have to go to the next side of the page and just say, okay, how can I overcome this fear? And it takes time, but a lot of us just don't want to take that time. But that's, that's really the, the best way to overcome our fears, to take time to think about it and to overcome it. And the second thing you talked about is you said, you'll get off this call and you'll be like, oh, I'm so motivated, but now what? Now what do I do, right? Right. So discipline, I mean, that's really discipline. And there are some tips and tricks you can use for discipline. One of them would just be like, like for me, um, I, I wanted to set a goal this week to get to bed earlier. So I can't just do that by myself. I'm just, I'm going to be so super honest with you guys. <laughs> I, I, I'm, I'm just as weak as the next person, right? Like I just want to stay up later and I just want it like the kids get in bed and I just want to stay up and watch that sweet Hallmark movie. You know, mm-hmm. I just want that time to do whatever I want to do. But I realized in the next day, I'm, you know, start sleeping in a little bit and I, I'm not as disciplined and I'm kind of grouchy and grumpy. And then I don't accomplish the habits, the good habits that I wanted to instill. So one of those things that I've done is just set an alarm on my phone for mm-hmm. 1045 at night. And it just says, it's time to be better. And so every time that alarm goes off, I know I need to turn off my computer. I need to turn off the TV. And I've made a commitment that when that alarm goes off, I will shut everything down and go get ready for bed. Like Mm. no excuses, like Mm. just do it. And so being disciplined, it really takes preparation and being able to be prepared beforehand, whether that's setting an alarm or having an accountability buddy, getting off this call, Rich, you just like calling somebody and saying, you know what, we are, I've determined we are going to create a bucket list, like talk to your wife about it or, or um, just say, you know, I'm going to be better. What's one thing I can do today that I've been wanting to do, or what's one thing I'm going to be better at today that I didn't do yesterday and just determine to do it, set alarms, reminders, give yourself incentives. There's a lot of different things you can do. That's awesome. I love the reminder. I love the alarm. I was actually going to tell you that if you have not yet tried the, we always set the alarm to wake up in the morning, but the, uh, Hey, it's time to go to bed alarm. I, I have to get up super early. You said 1045 and I'm like, that's the middle of the night. How are you staying up till 1045? I go to bed at like 815 and I just was like 1045. Wow. Uh, but the other thing, if that doesn't do it for you, I just want to throw out this pro tip, not, hashtag not sponsored, but you can get smart light bulbs that will start dimming as the evening goes on. You put them on a password that you give only to your husband and then you can't reverse it and then there just won't be power in your house. I'm just throwing it out there. If it gets to the point where the the alarm on your phone doesn't keep you disciplined enough, you can literally have your house work against you so you can go to bed on time. Love it. I love it. I love it. That's actually one of the tips. That's a great tip, Richie, is just to make the good habits as easy as possible to achieve and the bad habits as hard as possible. So if you're sick of what have the kids watching TV, unplug the TV and hide the remotes. Like just make it hard to make that habit happen. <laughs> now, I have to ask you too. I think I've in my mind I have done math, right? Your daughter then is 12 years old. So you oh, so, so you are coming into the age where kids are a lot of fun and a lot more work. 
how yes. how are you navigating that as being this? Yeah, we're gonna do this, and we're gonna. Are your kids along for the ride, or are they like, Mom, I am not in your class. I didn't sign up for this e course. Give me a break. <laughs> I'm motivated. Let's talk about that for oh, a minute. Oh my word! Oh my word! I love being a parent. I'm I'm not gonna lie. I absolutely love it, and it has its challenges. And I see each day it has new challenges and new experiences and new joy and just. It's just a roller coaster of emotions and each age. I feel like, you know, my husband and I, we talk about this. We're in a pretty good stage right now, but I can feel us just teetering that top uh, at the edge of it where she's about to turn 13. Our oldest is turning 13. Um, and we have a boy that's nine and then twin five-year-olds. We mm. had twin five-year-olds after the Olympics in between those miscarriages, which are two little blessings. Um, and they are five years old and they, they are, they are a handful, <laughs> but, uh, yeah, I, I, it's funny. I have to constantly tell myself, well, my husband does, he's like, you've just got to lower your expectations a little bit and you'll be happy. Yeah. <laughs> like, I can't lower my expectations. Like I just, I do, I expect quite a bit, but I do have to like tune it down and tone it out like a little bit and just be like, okay he'll come up to me and she, you know, she's only 12. Like she's, Oh, you know, he's only nine. Right. And I'm like, I know, but they can be doing this and this and this, and they can go into these extra classes and do this. And I'm like, oh, okay, lower my expectations just a little bit, but I can still be, you know, like consistent. I think being consistent as a parent is huge. It's absolutely huge. Whether you are super disciplined or just a little bit disciplined, if you just have consistency and it really, really helps if you're on the same page, um, you and your and spouse, you your, mean? When your spouse, yeah. if you and your spouse are on the same page with consistency, it goes a long way. And then the kids know what to expect and we know what to expect from them, but it makes it really tough. It makes it really tricky. Um, if, if you're on two different pages mm -hmm. in your disciplining, mm -hmm. um, but yeah, but it's good. I love it. I really do. I love it. And the kids seem happy. <laughs> so, I, I, I appreciate that you'll be vulnerable like that. Um, because I, it, a hard thing for the the cynic inside of me is is like no well there is no way that you are always like let's conquer the mountain like bright smiley face you haven't stopped smiling since we've been talking and I'm just like come on come there there has to be the bad day for Noel Pikes Pace the Olympian right there has to and 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 there doesn't have to be but to know that you struggle just like the rest of us really is for me one of the most endearing parts of this conversation it's like okay I mean I'm probably not ever going to get a, a an Olympic medal I think I'm past my prime maybe not maybe I need to look into some of these sports but that the other parts of the things that you're saying, right, that I can conquer these mountains, that I can do these things that I've always wanted to do, that I can fight back fear and that I can have the hope and all that. It's great to know that. And then also great to know that, yeah, you know, maybe the kid isn't listening or, you know, that the other kid isn't doing the thing that they're supposed to or, or whatever that case may be. It, it's nice to know. Oh, human. Also human. Noel oh, Pike's face. Oh, also human. If you only knew, oh yes, it's very human. First of all, my house is a disaster right now. I think I have last night's dish dishes in the sink. Like it's pretty messy up there. So that's why I'm down here. This is our basement. We had, you know, COVID hit. So you're like, what do we do? So for the first three months, I, for forever, I've, for the past like five or six years, we've, I've just done keynote speaking and all of a sudden COVID hits, the mm -hmm. pandemic hits and it's like keynote speaking is gone. I, I get my living from speaking to 50 or more people. And when that's, you know, so then we're like, what are we going to do? The first couple months, we're sitting here twiddling our thumbs thinking, what do we do next? What do we do next? And then a, a couple months go by and we're thinking, we've got to try something, you know? So we ended up creating a studio in our basement. We're still trying to figure it out. We're still trying to figure out how to survive in these pandemic times. But I think a lot of times it's just turning whatever lemons you have into lemonade and just making the best of it and just 
you know, I, it, it, but I am human. Trust me, I am human. It's not, it's not a perfect, pretty picture. You know, it, I mean, you just have to find ways to, to find the light. You have to look for the light. I choose, I choose to doubt my doubts before I doubt my faith. I choose to have faith that there's a bright and a beautiful future ahead. I choose to hope that today is going to be better than yesterday. And me putting on a sad face and um, being angry at what's going on or putting blame on other people, it does me no good. And I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned from getting hit by the bobsled back in 2005 before the Olympic Games. I think that was one of the biggest lessons I learned by missing out on an Olympic Games is that grumbling about it isn't going to make it better and that I have a choice to make regardless of the situation, regardless of the chaos and the crappy times going on around me, I have a choice to make. I can either choose to be crappy with the situation or I can choose to try and rise above it in whatever way I personally can, mm -hmm. because nobody's going to take me there. Nobody's going to do it for me. Nobody's going to put a smile on my face for me. Even if, even if I'm having a crappy day, you know what, a smile, there's nothing that it's going to make it worse if I just have a frown on my face. But if I put a smile on and just say, you know what, we're going to figure this out, then it's going to make it a little bit better. It has to make it a little bit better. And you just keep trying. You just keep pushing on. You just keep pushing on and pushing forward each and every day and determined to do so. You know, something that you said in the very, very beginning of our talk today you, with the skeleton, right? You, you, you're going face first and you're going 90 miles an hour, really screaming fast and super dangerous. And then you get across the finish line and it's like, and I feel like that's every person's life before March of 2020. And then we came to the screeching thing. I would be curious to know, what have you been surprised about yourself in the time of the pandemic? Uh, a, a ah. po positive, negative, maybe it's a little bit of both. Maybe it's one of each. Or what, What's the thing that has surprised you in this time? Yeah, it's a great question. Um, I think a couple things that have surprised me. Um, first of all is the roller coaster of emotions. I mean, it really is kind of a daily checkpoint, like really, I mean, for us where our, um, like our finances, they come from groups of people. So, mm -hmm. um, our, our supporting our kids, supporting our family. So there have been days throughout this summer when I've been like, I don't know how we're going to make it through next week. Like we might have to move. We might have to sell our house. I'm not kidding. Like Olympians, let me just first put, throw this out there. Olympians are not NBA basketball players yeah. or NFL. <laughs> like we don't get money for competing in the Olympics. We give money to compete in the Olympics, right? So we like give everything to become an Olympian to achieve this dream. And for what? Be because we, we have this dream and this purpose. Our purpose is so strong to want to represent ourselves and our country for to compete, you know, to compete at the highest level, but it's not for the money. Yeah. It never was for the money. Um, so for us, it, it's been a challenge financially through the pandemic, just being completely vulnerable with you right here, but mm -hmm. it's been a challenge. And um, every day, you know, over the past few months, it's been waking up and just saying, okay, how are we going to do it today? Like yeah. you see your kids and you're like, how are we going to support them next week? How many more weeks do we have in our savings before it reaches zero? And before we're going to have to sell how sell our house and, and move on and figure something out. And little by little, we're seeing little blessings come into our lives, but we have to look for them. Like, I think that's something that I've had to learn through this pandemic is I've had to seek out those blessings. Um, I've had to open my eyes to really try to see blessings rather than them just hit me in the side of the face. You know, but, but sometimes we get blessings and we're like, wow, that was amazing. And that's not really how it's been for me through this pandemic and through my, for my family, it's been more of a, 
a drop here and a drop there and a, a helping hand here and a kind smile there and um, maybe a, a plate of cookies on my doorstep with somebody stepping back with their face mask on, you know, maybe just those little things are how I've had to recognize God's hand in my life each day, but it's made me have to look for it because it hasn't come easy. Um, and the second thing I think it's that this pandemic has done for me and for my family is we've had to innovate. Like we, I know that's just a word. That's a word that we've all had to use lately, mm -hmm. but we've had to be creative and just say, okay, so let me try this. Let me pull at this straw. This one didn't work. So let's try this one. Okay. This one didn't work. Okay. Let's try this one. And I'm not kidding you that quote where it's like, you know, I, I think it's Thomas Edison that said, um, I haven't found uh, something like, um, it took me like a thousand tries, but I finally found one way that works something along those lines. And that's basically what we're doing here. And that's how I felt in my life is just like, okay, that didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work. That didn't work over and over again. How many times can you get shoved in the face and just pushed down before you feel like giving in and quitting? And then finally you find this little glimmer of hope of somebody that says, Hey, I can help you. How can I help you do this? What, what do you need help with? And so, you know, I would have never built a course. I would have never, you know, I love teaching and I want to take these principles and help people live on purpose, but I would have never built these e-courses had the pandemic not hit. And I'm so excited to not just stand on a stage and just talk to people. And like you said, Richie, it's hard to talk to people and motivate them without them saying, okay, that was good. Now I'm going to go back to my life. Right. But with these courses, I feel like I can actually make a difference and change lives for the better. So it's been a blessing, you know, and, and we'll see where tomorrow takes us. I right. mean, I think that's really what it's about. We'll see where tomorrow takes us. Have you had that sweet uh, nightmare in 2020 uh, where it's some sort of financial dire stress and then you wake up and go, <gasps> it's real. I've, I've had that twice in the last nine months where it's like, oh, okay, that's how this day is. All right. Oh, that is true. Oh, it's not, it's not a nightmare. It's a real marriage. Yeah, it's yeah, a real. Yeah. yeah. But really <laughs> and physically, I've done that twice. Two mornings I've woken up where it's just like, oh my, okay, no, nope, okay, there's a roof still. We're, we've got, I've got this so far. All right. Let's take a break. Uh, when we come back in the third block, I've got a couple of questions uh, that I just want to kind of pick up and ask you. Um, one really bad joke that I've been meaning to make the entire time we've been chatting. I can't hold it in anymore. We'll come back and do that in the third block of the cultural hall. <laughs> LDSbookstore.com. You know, they have this uh, part on their site, which, uh, by the way, their website again, LDSbookstore.com, where they have like the weekly deal. And you're thinking, oh, man, I love a good deal. Well, right now, the deal, as I see it at LDSbookstore.com, is a Salt Lake Temple magnet. You always want, you, you know, on your fridge, you put your kids' like drawings up on. Why not have a uh, magnet of the temple? Other things that I find when I clicked on that particular thing, how about a nativity ornament scent? You know, you always do the uh, nativity. You do it on the hearth. You do it on your table, the centerpiece for the kitchen table or somewhere out of the way. Why not get an ornament set that is the nativity? It's 13-piece. Uh, it comes with a story. So if you want to teach your kids the nativity story, I mean, sure, you could do it yourself. But this comes with a story plus the ornaments. Probably uh, you can walk through each of the different ornaments and then place them on the tree. Boom. Just planned your family home evening. Boom. LDSbookstore.com is where you have to go to get that. One more time, it's LDSbookstore.com. Here in the third block of the Cultural Hall, if uh, you like this episode, you like other episodes that we've done, encourage you to uh, do one of a couple things. One, you can always email us, contact at theculturalhall.com. 
You can let us know, hey, I really like that episode with Noel Pikes Pace. Or you can say, hey, you know what? You had Noel Pikes Pace on. You should also have and then recommend another guest to us. We'd love to have that. The second thing that you can do is wherever you are getting this episode, we would ask that you give us a review. We always like to hear the kind words. It also helps us to be able to be found by other individuals who are seeking this kind of entertainment. So if you would, please, one of those things, I'm not going to mandate it, but I'm going to ask very kindly that you do at least one of those things and check it out. And uh, we may share your email in the future here in the Cultural Hall. Now, Noel, I have wanted to make this horrible joke. Uh, I wanted to ask you how you were able to get an entire market made and named after you in Seattle, but it's the worst joke and it's such a stretch because people have to know that it's the Pike Place Market. Like I just, It's not a great joke, which is why I've abstained, <laughs> but it has been here. I need to release it and just be done with it. So thank you. Thank you for releasing that. I love Pike Place. I love the Pike Place Market. That's awesome. Yeah, that's if for people that don't know, that's the face of the place that probably most famously they do the tossing the fish, and you've seen that YouTube video. And there's quite actually a business story behind why they do that and 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 what they do there. And then also famously, uh, super close to that really disgusting gum wall that exists in Seattle, where people just take their gum out and it's gross. Just just gross. Just gross. <laughs> so, so I want to ask you this is, um, certainly as you look forward to, to, uh, being back with your family for post Olympics and everything like that, w- was it hard to sort of adapt to that different kind of lifestyle? Oh yeah. Oh yeah, for sure. Um, it's hard because as an Olympian, I knew what I needed to do every single day. Mm-hmm. Like I mean, I could see four years into my future and just say, okay, I know what I'm doing. Like, I know where my commitments are, my dedication every, you know, Monday, Wednesday, Friday, I'm doing upper body, then Tuesday, Thursday, lower body. I'm going to work on my equipment from this time to this time. It was just set for me. Like it was all structured. So it was, it's funny to think about it this way, but for me, it was easy to be an Olympian because I just had to be, I just had to be dedicated and put in the work. Like I just had to put in the work. And for me, if I just had to put in the work and I knew that, if I gave it my absolute best, come what may as the results, I knew that that was, that was enough. But as a parent, man, (laughs) man, it's tough, you know, like as a parent, as a, as a mom, as a wife, um, holding down the fort in in your home. And it's, and, and a lot of times you get into this daily grind, um, of you wake up, you do something, you go, you know, get dinner ready, you go to bed and you do it all over again this next day. And it's over and over and over again, and you can't really see that final destination is clear. You can't really see what it's worth or, or have this end like competition where it's like, okay, good. Mm-hmm. I did it. Now I can check that off. Now I can move on. It's just a constant, which is a blessing, but it's also can be really, really hard. Um, so honestly, it's been a new, a new adjustment to not be competing in the Olympics. Just um, I've really had to, I know I mentioned this with <laughs> when you asked me about my kids, but I've had to change my expectations mm-hmm. because now a lot of it is about figuring out what I want in life and where my talents are. I really want to continue to develop my talents, but obviously that's not with skeleton. I don't, I don't want to be doing that anymore. The last run that I ever took was in 2014. People have asked me that. Um, it was at the Olympic Games, and I knew that was it. I mm-hmm. wanted to be a mom and spend time with my family and continue to develop my talents. So for me, it's about continuing to discover who I am. It's not who I am today, but it's who I am becoming. And I think we're all becoming somebody every single day. And it's who we choose to become that makes the difference. So 
it's not just that you are who you are. You get to pick and choose who you want to become, but it does take effort and it takes time and it takes, um, it, it takes work. It takes hard work and it takes just effort for you to become who you want to become. So that's what I'm focusing on now is just constantly developing whatever talents I can and hopefully helping people to be get, become better in their lives. Have you been um, sort of enchanted by any of these like extreme physical things like the hundred milers or hiking <laughs> the Appalachian Trail or something like that? I see I see Olympians and because, you know, it is it's a laser focus. It's a training. It's a this. It's a this. It's a this. Uh, they find themselves doing these. I sprinted to the top of Everest. I, you know, ran the entire United States. Have you ever been sort of? My husband, we joke about that. We always say, ain't nobody got time for that. Like, I just, I really just don't have time for that. Like, how do I, like, I have my four kids at home. Like, I mean, kudos to all those that put in all that effort and that time and that energy. And you have that passion and that drive and that purpose to do that. But man, I, I'm a mom of four kids and I'm just trying to like work out science fair projects and like spelling bees and like, you know, hunker down the fort. And so my, my work days, honestly, now that our two boys, they're in kindergarten. So, Mm -hmm. which, which they don't have full day kindergarten. And that would be kind of a blessing here. I know some of you (laughs) like the half day and you get to be with your little ones a little longer, but man, I think it'd be kind of nice to have that full day so I could have a little more time in the day to get a little bit of work done, but especially during, during the pandemic and being home, but but, you know, it's just a constant adapting, like constantly adapting. And um, and I've, I've learned, I guess, through this transition of being an Olympian to to having this life at home with the kids and still trying to be this working mom. Um, I've learned the really the power of my expectations. If I have really high expectations for one day and this huge checklist of things that I really, really want to get done. And then all of a sudden a kid comes home from school and they need help with an assignment. And then another kid comes home and they get out everything in the fridge. Now there's a disaster in the kitchen. They track their mud through the carpet. And I'm just thinking, oh my word, I just need to get through this checklist. I've realized that if I have those checklists, if they're very set, I lose it. Like my day is gone and I get really frustrated with my kids. But if I can be more flexible with my time and just say, okay, If I just have one thing, if I can just check off one of these things today, what would that be? And if I get to the others, it's a bonus. Mm -hmm. Like I've really had to be flexible with my checklists. And I think that's uh, that's helped me as a parent to be a little more patient with my kids. Now, I think you would probably be the first to say that you could not have done this without uh, your husband, the support of your husband. Um, And and you've mentioned that certainly as we've chatted. Um, I would be curious to know how you feel like you and and then subsequently sort of we can show up as good partners, either how that looks like you show up as a good partner to your husband or how he showed up to you in the time that you were you doing this or or what does it mean to show up and be a good partner? Yeah, great question. Uh, first of all, I just remember when um, back in the early days of me competing for skeleton, it was really hard because I would leave. And um, my husband would be at home. And so um, it, it just, the whole, it, it wasn't working out at the first because I thought I just could do my thing and he would do his thing. And we just had, in, in the beginning, it was as though we had two separate lives mm-hmm. and we tried to make it mesh when I would come back, but it just didn't work that way. And so the first thing um, is just very, very open communication, but in a loving way. So, so just, I mean, even if you have like, um, something mean you want to say or something that's just been frustrating you 
to try and go into every conversation with love and wanting the best for the other person and um, having that open communication, using the words like, well, I just feel like this happened or instead of saying you did this and you did that. And I know we've heard these kind of sayings before, but having open communication and trust, trust is key. And then the third thing would be just to be supportive. Um, one of the things that Jansen did for me going into the Olympic games that I'll be forever grateful for is he put, he put me before himself. Mm. And um, I know that wasn't easy for him. I mean, he's the, he's the guy, right? He's supposed to be the one in the limelight. This is, I mean, this I'm putting, I have little air quotes around my fingers just sure. for everybody listening, but he's supposed to be the one that's holding down the fort and he's supposed to be the one, you know, bringing in the income for the family. And he's supposed to be the one doing this and that. And he's not supposed to be the one at home with the kids, taking care of them and changing diapers. I mean, I'm like, again, air quotes here, yeah, people, yeah, air yeah, quotes. Yeah. <laughs> Um, so for him, it was definitely a huge challenge to overcome that. And I could see that I could see how hard it was for him and the sacrifice that he gave for me to achieve my dreams. And so once the Olympics were over, um, I wanted to share that gratitude for him. And I just, I remember turning to him and saying, if you could do anything, what would you want to do now that I've been able to go and do this with the Olympics, you know, and, and, and we've had this amazing journey here, what would you like to do? And he said, I really want to go on for my master's degree. And um, that's when we started making this bucket list. And I realized I wanted to learn Spanish. He wanted to get his master's degree. So we sold our house in Utah and moved to Costa Rica for a year and a half um, because I just wanted to support him and his master's degree. And he wanted to support me in learning Spanish. And we're, it's just this, it's not a take, take, it's a give, give. It's more of just like, I want to help you. And, and, and because I want to help you, he wants to help me and I want to help you. And Anyway, we're just constantly looking for ways to lift each other up. And I'm not saying it's perfect, you guys. I'm not saying <laughs> by any means we have our fair share of arguments and disagreements and and things that we that don't go, you know, days when we're just like, this is not, you know, we're not on a good page today. We've got to figure something out. We actually have a code word. I shouldn't share this since it's a code. <laughs> but um, <laughs> for whatever reason, we came up with the word pickle. Uh -huh. I don't even know how. I don't know why, I don't know how, but when we both just like can't see eye to eye and we're feeling really frustrated with each other, well, all of a sudden one of us will just like stop and we'll just be like, okay, pickle. And it's just like the reset button. It's just saying, okay, forget everything I've said, forget everything you've said. Let's just start fresh. Let's start from the beginning and start from here. And let's just ah, take a breath and move forward. And it's just, I think it's healthy and helpful to have some kind of out, mm -hmm. some kind of reset button to just say, okay, we both overstepped our bounds. Like we're, this isn't going in the direction. Neither of us want to go in this direction. Let's figure out how we can start fresh and come back to loving each other again. Yeah. So pickle is our word. You find your own word. Find yeah. your own All word. All right. I was going to still pickle, but I guess I can't. You can use pickle. It's free for all. It's a good word. Uh, there, There is three questions that we ask everyone who steps into the cultural hall. So I will ask those of you now. The first question is, is do you have a calling right now? And if so, what is it? Yes, I do. I am. I have two callings. I am the go figure. Yeah. The state sports director for our state. <laughs> See, you laughed. You laughed. No. Okay. No. I, oh, a I, little. I laughed a little. I laughed a little. Okay. But here is actually one of my favoritest callings in the whole <laughs> wide world. And I am the, I'm a youth Sunday school teacher. And I just love, love, love the youth. Anytime I get to be around them or learn from them is just a huge blessing in my life. All right. If you could pick a calling for yourself, either one that exists or make one up, what would you pick? 
<laughs> oh boy. Um, I've always envied the librarians. I'm not going to lie. I think that would be a good calling. <laughs> but um, I really do enjoy teaching. So I think I'm, I think I'm right where I want to be is just Sunday school. I love the youth Sunday school. Young women's would be fun as well. I've been there and I love the youth. So anything with the youth, I would, I would be the youth adventure specialist where we would go hiking on overnight backpacking trips in Moab. Perfect. <laughs> that would be my calling. <laughs> I mean, very specific, but I did say you could pick whatever you'd like. So I appreciate that. The last question we ask, uh, we ask you to interpret however you will. Uh, but the question remains, what is your favorite part of your faith? Ooh, my favorite part of my faith is that it's consistent. That regardless of um, highs or lows in my life, I choose not to doubt. I choose to have faith and that it's consistent in the way that even at the lowest of times, I've still held on to that glimmer of possible faith. And in the highest success of times, I choose to believe that it's not by coincidence, but that miracles still do take place today. So um, I think the, the best part about my faith is its consistency. I appreciate you taking the time. I know that uh, this has been, for me, super enlightening and, and inspiring, and I'm going to go take on the world. If people <laughs> have been listening to this, uh, you know, you've mentioned uh, an e-course, you've mentioned that you also public speak. If people wanted to talk to you about any of those things, where's the best place that they can reach out to you? Um, NoelPikesPace.com. Hmm. Check it out. There wasn't already someone that had reserved that domain, huh? I don't know why. Yeah, it's so I, weird. Right? Weird. It's so weird. Uh, and there will be a link to that in the show notes. Uh, Noelle, we hope that this episode has nourished and strengthened your body, that if you're not healthy enough to listen this week, that you'll be healthy enough to listen next week, and that when the time comes, you'll be able to travel home in safety. In the meantime, we'll be saving a seat for you on the back row of the Cultural Hall. Save me a seat. It's sure to be neat. On the back row, we really got to go on the Cultural Hall show.